You're listening to the PMO Strategies Podcast, where PMO leaders become impact drivers. This is episode 158. Hey there, Impact Driver. Welcome to the PMO Strategies Podcast. I am your host, Laura Bernard. And today we are going to be talking about something that you all need to be listening out for. Because what we're going to discuss is how smart organizations understand that proven project management practices lead to greater success and less waste. Got it. We also need to be thinking about how better facilitation of governance can do the same. You see, delivery methods are adapting and being customized as the pace of development continues to accelerate. We need to plan to support this in our own creative ways because PMOs globally are ready for change and must change in very specific ways. For example, they need to stop reinventing the wheel every time a new project is initiated. Stop reinitiating with the same stakeholders over and over again and stop with all of the duplication. We've got to be more focused on removing waste and streamlining and optimizing so that all of that unproductive time and energy is removed from the process. You're going to learn how organizations are adopting and adapting Agile to bridge the divide between delivery and governance and what organizational support structures are needed to support this agility in a creative way. It's time to change the way we work, focus on the changing nature of our profession, which is changing right around us every day and all the time, by working more collaboratively with agility in mind. This episode is sponsored by the Impact Engine PMO Implementation Program. In today's results-driven world, it's not enough to be good at your job. You need to be great at making an impact. You must be able to drive measurable value to the business through the high impact outcomes you're creating with your PMO. So there's no denying the clear cut advantage you bring to the team, the leadership team that is. The Impact Engine PMO implementation program is specifically designed for the PMO leader that needs the step-by-step process, the right resources, guidance, and support to build, elevate, or even rescue a PMO fast all while doing exactly what needs to be done from a leadership perspective to get and keep that seat at the table. Using my step-by-step process, training, templates, and tools, you'll know exactly what you need to do, in what order, why that matters, and how to shortcut some of the pain, frustration, headaches, and mistakes that plague so many PMOs. Your fast track to the results your business leaders are begging you for is inside this program. Our Impact Engine PMO students come from all different kinds of organizations, large and small, across industries around the world, and they will tell you that this program has made all the difference in their success. So whether this is your first PMO or fifth PMO, you're trying to get your PMO started or get things back on track, 
We've got everything you need to be successful in this program. So come check it out at iepmo.com. That's iepmo.com. Or just visit us on the PMO Strategies website and we'll guide you the rest of the way. I can't wait to welcome you into your future high impact PMO today. Okay, let's dive in. Today with me to talk about this need for agility is Fatima Abuchi. She's the founder and CEO of Agile Management Office, a thought leader providing governance solutions for organizations to manage and govern projects in the Agile era. Now, Fatima is also, which is really cool, the founder of Return of the Panda, a not-for-profit organization focused on improving the mental health of millions of anxiety sufferers worldwide. Now, as a successful businesswoman, Fatima has been supporting businesses from startups to enterprise internationally for the past 18 years as an advisor, educator, and award-winning thought leader. Now, her professional passion has been seen. I'm so excited to dive in with Fatima because you're going to get to benefit from her professional passion, which has been seen with her successful transformation work she's been doing, helping organizations figure out how businesses can govern and deliver change across portfolios of all shapes and sizes across industries around the world. Now, that is her formal bio, but I'd love Fatima as you welcome you to the show. If you share just a little bit about who you are, what makes you tick and anything that we didn't get to cover in the bio. Thanks, Laura, for having me. It's a pretty lengthy bio, so I apologize for that. But yeah, look, I think the the key things to sort of recognize is being in this space for almost 20 years. I sort of saw, saw an opportunity about six years ago, six or seven years ago, when I realized that organizations were trying to do PMO and governance in a way that was too rigid for the the organizations as they were undertaking large transformations and scaling in size and and whatnot. So I started having the discussions around how do we be more agile in the way we work in terms of agility. And then naturally that's now evolved into both big A agile in terms of methods and frameworks and processes and small A agile in terms of mindset, as well as all of those sort of soft skills needed and bridging the divide between the two. So That's what I'm passionate about at the moment and helping people to get an emphasis on what it means to do agile governance, which is really important. And I think one of the big gaps that's been left off the table with a lot of the organizations that have moved towards agile more Mm -hmm. so now than they have ever before. Oh, for sure. And that's one of the problems we see, isn't it? Because a lot of organizations think, well, you can't have governance if you have agile. The two don't mix very well. And I think that's nonsense personally, which is why as soon as you said, hey, you know what? This is what I'm really digging into now. Is like, we've got to get you on the show ASAP because I think it's important to understand that you absolutely can, should, and are, it's actually your fiduciary responsibility to the organization to put some agile, some governance in place, even if the way that you are working is more of an agile way of working. And even if you are hardcore, big A agile, mm-hmm. managing uh, all agile type initiatives. So thank you so much for taking the time to come here and talk to us about this important topic. Oh, you're very welcome. I cringe when people say, oh, we're agile. We don't need governance. I turn around to them and I say, have you seen yourselves without governance? 
it is absolute chaos. The organisations right. that have stripped out governance and removed sort of functions that exist that are similar or are called PMOs mm-hmm. have actually left a big gaping hole and it's causing a lot of problems now. And so many organisations, particularly in Australia, that I've been seeing lately, have now started to roll back that change and are starting to reintroduce those functions but it's too late the damage is done so it is crazy when they say we don't need governance we're agile it's like no you actually need it more than you actually think yeah for sure so what are organizations getting wrong though when they're trying to become more agile right like there's all of a sudden this big push over the last many years of we've all got to go agile and huge agile transformation and everything must be agile and all this right what are they getting wrong when they start to make the shift So there's a few challenging areas. One of those things is that they already, most of them, particularly those that are quite large, mid mid to large, more large, they already have a lot of rigidity and a lot of bloat in their organizations. And then they decide we're going to do an agile transformation, which already is the opposite of agile by doing it as a transformation program that takes two or three years. But then what they do is they focus and it's usually applied from a top-down perspective. So an executive at the top layer would say, we're going to go agile for these three, four reasons. And then they start to implement agile from the top down. But what they don't do is they don't match what's going on down the bottom on the ground in the trenches. So there's a complete disconnect by the time agile is proliferating through the layers of the organization. One of those layers that causes a lot of grief and it's impacting delivery teams being able to deliver is the element of governance. And people assume that governance just means PMO or that governance is an essential part of any organization anywhere around the world. It's around structure, it's around people, and it's around information. We Every organization in the world has those three things. So governance is not t- directly aligned just to PMOs, which is what some organizations that have gone down the agile path have done by ripping out that and not putting a replacement in place. And as a result, it means that project teams are spending an inordinate amount of time doing all of the administrative overhead that usually would be taken care of by roles that are in and around governance in other parts of the organization. So it's really created a disconnect and there's no clear roadmap for how to to address those challenges. It's just becoming more and more of a problem and we're losing accountability and oversight. I really like that. And so I want to have you repeat those three things again, because for those that are driving or that we're multitasking, get back over here if you're multitasking, because you need to write this down. I think the way you said it was beautiful. Can you say that again? Governance is really about three things. It's about structure. It's about people and it's about information. Love Um, it. And that's the three key pillars of governance. It's not an exhaustive list. Of course, there's other things we think about. But in organizations, when they think about governance, they think about quality and methods and gates and processes. But what they don't think about is culture, staff retention, rules of engagement, rather, absenteeism, mindset. All of those are part of structure, people, and information, the three pillars of governance. I love that. I love that because I think that's a really great way for our impact drivers listening to just simplify the whole process, right? Because when people hear governance, uh, they're either like, yes, we need that. Or they run in the other direction because they're scared because it's so much so overwhelming, right? And so if you're in a position as a PMO leader and you're saying we need governance, maybe if you talk about what the components are and kind of break that down a little bit more and say, well, obviously we need this because we're really talking about these three pieces, then it's kind of hard for anyone to argue that because you need all of those to monitor and to, to make sure your strategy gets delivered, right? To make sure that you actually do what you set out to do. So that's great. So yeah, absolutely. 
let's talk about agile a little bit. How is agile being adopted today in organizations? So there's really, there's probably four key ways that I'm seeing. First and foremost, most organizations, I think every organization is applying a hybrid version of an agile method or framework, et cetera. Right. Agile-based methods, I should say. So they're all doing their own hybrid version. But when you dig deeper beyond the service, particularly we are seeing with some of our larger organizations, they are usually adopting one of the most popular and fastest growing methodologies that exist out there which everybody will know, closely followed by maybe Scrum. Yeah. Now, at the moment, the way that they're applying it is one of four ways. It's either at a company-wide top-down approach, as I just briefly mentioned before, which is really right. common in organizations where it starts with the CEO. Right. Otherwise, it starts maybe in the IT department and the CIO leads it, so then it becomes sort of maybe a multi-departmental approach um, across an organization or across one division or we see it in a single department. This is a proliferation of agile starting naturally in IT departments. So single department and maybe not across a whole division or right. in some instances within sort of sub-function. So I've seen agile champions who have a lot of experience in this space start to proliferate it from the bottom up by focusing on agile in a particular area such as DevOps or within the testing or the engineering team. But that's just from the bottom up. And then somehow, somewhere they need to meet in the middle. But that's sort of the way that it's currently being applied. And it's very common across most of the organizations I'm speaking to apply a hybrid approach. Okay. All right. So then what's the challenge? Like, what are the issues that we're facing with, I think some would argue that no, we don't need so much governance. And that was the whole movement of agile. We don't need all this. That's the problem. Right. And then others are like, no, but we need our structure. So is governance really the problem or the answer here? Governance people assume is a problem. It's not, it's actually the solution. If you think about governance from the perspective of being your foundation, your anchor point, then your processes become the glue and it holds things together, it binds things together. In an organization, when we think about the strategic objectives and goals set at the executive level, and then we look at the delivery side where I cover governance and change and project execution, and then we think about operations, HR, finance, et cetera, the way to get those areas together is using governance. The governance and the processes, it becomes the glue that binds the organization together. Unfortunately, what I'm seeing is sort of key challenges, and one of them is around the confusion between the waterfall and the agile elements within an organization. So mm -hmm. where are we applying waterfall? Where are we applying agile? A lot of executives are applying waterfall from an investment funding perspective from the top down. And then yeah. within the, the breadth of delivery, it's based on agile sort of frameworks or and or methods. So the adoption of principles versus frameworks, that's another key challenge. Am I applying the principles of agile? Am I applying the frameworks for agile? Confusion around how that's being applied is another one. And then co-design and adaptation is another challenge where organizations are struggling to understand how to tailor what they need for their areas, including around governance, which then therefore is conflicting with sort of the old ways of working within these organizations. And there's a big disconnect. And I think PMOs can really help bring that together, be the glue. But unfortunately, in some instances, they were removed. And now I'm starting yeah. to see them climb back in. Yeah, I know. And that's the unfortunate thing. That's one of the things when Agile, I don't know, whether you want to call it a movement or a big push, but when things, when everyone started going, not everyone, but when organizations started saying, we must be agile, right? It was like, there's no room for the PMO anymore. And mm -hmm. I was like, really? 
Because who the one who's the one that's actually going to pull all this together? Who's around before the projects happen and after the projects happen? Agile as a framework is about the implementation of the change, right? But as a mindset, as a, an operating model of like how you deliver value, agile is much broader than that, right? And I think there's a role for the PMO in particular when it comes to governance. I think that's a sweet spot and a key opportunity for PMO leaders is the governance, right? And a lot of times the way I look at it is, Whatever your implementation methodology is, the PMO is much bigger than the choice of implementation methodology. And it should be really about, and that's what I like about your AMO model, is that it's not about implementation agile, it's about mindset and the whole way the organization operates. The engine that it operates within is a much bigger picture than just like, well, we're implementing all agile projects, right? And that's where this whole governance piece kind of pulls all of it together is that no matter what implementation approaches you're using, I believe that the need for someone to address all three parts, the structure, the people, and the information so that business leaders have everything they need to make educated and informed decisions and support all of that good work happening. You have to have, someone's got to do that. And it's Mm -hmm. not the people in the projects that can provide Mm -hmm. that kind of hundred thousand foot view that the business leaders need. So I think it's I mean, to me, I think it was such an obvious answer. Like you may be shifting to agile, but what's the role of the PMO? Well, the PMO shouldn't be defined by a specific implementation methodology anyway. You should be defined by governance. You should be defined by how you're helping to pull all this information together because project people, they're only focused on the delivery stage of strategy, but someone's got to be looking at the whole picture. So I love it. I love where all this is going. So 100% agree. So what do you do, right? Like, how do you, so you've got all this going on and let's say you're a PMO leader. Cause I'm just, I'm thinking about my PMO leaders listening and they're like, okay, this is great. I believe you. So what do you do? Like, how do you start putting governance in place? If you're in this organ, like an organization that's been, oh, we're doing all this big agile transformation, or you don't have a good governance structure, regardless of agile, where do they start? So first and foremost, we need to understand the governance landscape within the organization. So not just for your patch, but you have to actually understand, as we know, with projects day to day, we need resources. Well, how do we get resources? Well, a lot of the time we have to go through human resources. When we know that we're going to be needing money, we usually deal with finance. When we know that we are needing to mitigate risk, we deal with operational risk. So A lot of the time, there are PMOs that don't focus on how the governance ecosystem works within their organisation, but they need to understand it because this is where the interdependencies for governance need to align. So first of all, I'd I'd, I'd define the governance landscape before then defining and creating, co-creating rather, a cadence for ongoing review of those governance requirements across those interdependent functions. Talk to your HR department around how they do resourcing. Talk to finance about the financial elements. Talk to audit and risk and so forth. We need to do that so we can understand what are the constraints that we have. So what are the things that are not negotiable and what are the things that we can flex in? With governance, we should be governing based on the level of risk. If something is extremely low risk, then why would we overburden it with governance? We don't have an abundance of unlimited resources and budget to do that. So I would right. be making it most relevant. So that would be one of the things. The second thing I would be saying is specify what's not allowed early and transparently. You're starting mm-hmm. initiatives. You want to make sure the project teams are clear on what is and is not allowed. Regardless of the framework you're using, agile, waterfall, it doesn't matter. Just make sure it's clear to them and remove every single gray area that you possibly can because that's what will get you unstuck. 
The third one I would probably say is about iteratively releasing governance based on needs. So rather than trying to do everything at once, Mm. think about mapping governance across that journey of the customer, being your delivery partners, your project managers, their teams, et cetera, and let the PMO be a source of guidance to help with that change, to define the rules of engagement, to define the value that you need to create, and then iteratively test test different things with those teams and seek feedback and have them part of that working group. So that will be probably another one of many that I could probably come up with as, as an initial starting point for PMOs. I really love that. That's my whole way of thinking about how you, you need to build, you need to start small, start simple, start with basics and then build on that and then create that continual value delivery because it's not just the work of the change like you pointed out with the structure and the people and the information, the same thing, when you're bringing change to an organization, it's not about the work of the change. It's about bringing people with you through the change process. And if you start with like a huge, what feels complex to people, governance model, they're going to run away. But if you baby step it and you say, okay, well, what are the basic components that we need to have in place to be able to monitor, provide some structure around these projects and programs, light structure, start light, right? And make sure that we're taking care of the people and understanding what we need to know from a people perspective. And then how can we make sure to give information to people so they can make educated, informed decisions quickly. Doing those in your structure, doing those things doesn't mean you have to have 65 metrics. It doesn't mean you need 45 meetings. I love your, the way you put it, where you don't, based Based on the level of risk determines the level of governance and oversight you need. I think that's a brilliant way to look at it because if you have something, and I always say like, look at, look at the budget, look at the timeline, look at the risk. And if something is, and the scope of the change you're creating, if something is really going to be like a three month project and it's something internal and it doesn't have any financial implications or people, those kinds of things, do you really need a meeting every day in order to talk about that project, right? Do you really need to have so much heavy oversight on it? Or could you simplify things a little bit? So I think the same thing here with your approach, which is start small, pick a few areas that you're going to work on, and then you can slowly build on it. And I like Fatima to get it to a place where they're asking for the thing that you're about to give them right before you give it to them, like give them just enough to get started and get a little taste. Then you add, oh, it'd be great if we had a little bit more structure here, or if we had a little bit more information here, then you add another thing. And then you add another thing. And then before you know it, they're running like a well-oiled machine, but it was done over time Mm -hmm. and they didn't even notice. Right. I had one of my best program managers used to call it the Jedi mind trick. Cause he's (laughs) like, he'd take them through a process and they'd have no idea how much they evolved in that process because he baby stepped it. So yeah. I love your approach. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good point, Laura, because one of the things that I usually say is that I always say to my team, like clients often don't know what they don't know and they don't know what they need. They think they do, but a lot of time they don't, especially if they're really excellent at delivery. Governance is not necessarily their place. And so by giving them that iterative value and actually enabling them to see the outputs of that, knowing it's not costing them any more time or money, they Mm. will start to trust. And I think one of the things that PMO leaders are missing the most more than any other skill is the knowledge and skill sets associated with good change management. It's not something that's usually taught in PMO methods and frameworks. Uh, It's probably changing now, which is great. But that's, I think, a skill that going back 15 years, I wish I had that back then. It would have Mm. made me a, a better 
primo leader to, to what I was then to what I am now. So yeah, it's definitely necessary. And I think that they could learn a lot by focusing some more on the change management side as well. Mm, I love how you said that. Cause I, I often say to PMO leaders, I wish I had me when I was you, right? Because back when we were doing this work and we didn't have all the things that we are trying to make available to people now, it was so much harder. And we didn't have people saying, well, wait, slow down. You got to bring them with you through the change process. I had to learn it the hard way by trying to shove change <laughs> at people. And then they're like, oh, wait, stop. It's, it's amazing how much of a shift. I mean, in just alone in the last two or three years, yeah. I'm seeing companies reach out to us that have never even had a project management framework, let right. alone now be asking for PMO. Like, right. I want to build a PMO, where should I start? And I'm sort of tech guiding them and advising them through that. But to the fact that these companies don't even have a project management framework to understand the concept of a PMO is absolutely fascinating. So I think the work that the community is doing is absolutely amazing because it's abs- it's like I keep saying absolutely because it really is absolutely yeah. taking people that are not normally aware of what the PMO role is and what it does to a place where now it's a greater place of understanding but I think we've yeah. got to be careful because PMOs and the way that they are dealing with and around agile we might undo some of that good work if we don't be careful so we need to make right. sure we're clear on that. Right. Now we talked about it a little, but I'd like to go back to something we've kind of flirted with a little here around change management and really look at this governance thing from a culture perspective, because I think some people listening might say, yeah, but that won't work in our culture. Right. Like, and the yeah, but monster crawls up on their shoulder and it's like, yeah, but so let's talk about that a little. What role does governance play specifically in culture? And also it's kind of a two-part. Why do you think a strong culture would be so important? And what does that strong culture look like in order for driving change, transformation, agile, or otherwise? So it's, it's really interesting to say I'm doing some work with um, one of the universities in Denmark and we've been talking and writing a lot about this. And one of the things that's critically clear is good governance means good culture and good culture means good governance. Mm. When you have good governance, it means a lot of the necessary level of oversight. As I said, it's not overburdened. It's not full of governance flow. It's not layers upon layers upon layers. It's good governance because everybody understands what is the structure? What is the processes? What are the tools we're using? What's the information we need to know? What are people's roles and responsibilities? What are their accountabilities? Good governance is clear. It provides that roadmap for organizations to understand where they're going. And when you've got clarity, clarity on accountabilities, clarity on structure, clarity on process, clarity on information, that makes it so much easier and it removes all of the gray areas that usually cause a lot of conflict um, and political challenges in organizations. So I think that having the right balance of behavior and mindset, which is where the small A agile language comes into it, and then the big A as well, which is the methods that help support this, it means that we're going to build a a culture of trust. The trust element comes from any organization that has good culture, uh, typically has good trust levels and accountability, and good governance supports that. When you've got trust in your team, you need less governance. And when you have got good governance and that's working well for you, you'll find that the team trust each other. They know their roles and responsibilities. They have accountability. And it's just a greater way of working. And you see that in smaller teams. And as they scale to continue to maintain that, they need to focus their efforts on making sure they're bringing people into the team that work within that culture and that environment, as opposed to just focusing on the skills needed for, for governance. So I think they're perfectly aligned and you can't have good culture and not have good governance. I actually see that both of those things apply in many, many instances. 
Oh, that's so good. What a great way to think about it. Because if I think about the organizations that we've worked with and what we've done to improve them, we find that that the trust builds as we put the right level and it's got to be the right size. It's got to be right sized governance. If you put the right level in place, what you're doing is you're removing a lot of the drama and frustration that happens when, because people don't know what's going on, or they don't have a framework within which to work. And there's so many challenges when you don't have governance there. So instead of looking at governance as the police, it can be looked at as the supportive function that supports a adaptive and collaborative culture. 100%. And if you think back to the three pillars of governance around structural structure provides clarity around accountabilities and authorization to make decisions and the path of process and the escalation flows and all of that. We think about the people side of it, that's staff retention, it's rules of engagement, it's absenteeism, it's mindset. And then we think about information, it's the processes, the policies, the methods that help keep people honest, but also help them understand what it is that's expected of them. So governance and culture are completely intertwined with each other. And if you go to an organization and you see they're struggling on the governance side, I was just working with an organization in the last 12 months and there is such a poor level of accountability around governance. And I can see that proliferating in the culture. There's high absenteeism days. There is people coming in late. There wasn't one day on the program that everybody was at work that day. There was not one day. There was probably about seven or eight people that left within three months of me being around, seeing what was going on and people were just leaving. But but that, if you tie that back to the problems they were facing, it was, we don't know what we're doing. We don't know how we get decisions made. We don't know why our upper level management wasn't helping us to unblock roadblocks. Like it's very, very closely aligned. So culture and governance is super aligned as much as people may not think about it like that. Oh, that's great. I love it. I love it. So it's really, you must have both and they create the foundation upon which any change can happen. So I love it. Okay. So we've talked a lot about all of the different ways that you can bridge the gap between governance and delivery. We've talked about different ways that it works together, why it's so important with culture and how it's really the foundation, but I'd love if we could just kind of walk through a practical example of governance in different layers of the organization and across an organization. Can you give us an example just to make it real for people of different ways that governance can show up in different kind of levels of the organization? Yeah, sure. So this is the thing that people are most surprised about. And as I said earlier, it's worth understanding your governance landscape. When we think about an organization and governance, I usually break it up into four areas. So there's the individual governance that we as individuals and citizens of our community need to make sure that we are aware of and applying. So I call that self-governance. Then you've got project governance. So that includes project programs, delivery in general. So what is the governance that applies? So for example, we're talking about stage gates and quality assurance and funding approvals and things like that. Then when we think about enterprise governance, this is your enterprise policy. So this is how you are allowed to hire people. This is how we need to approve funding envelopes and and get the approvals to deliver programs of work. This is the policies and procedures that apply around risk and order and operational risk and how we're going to be good citizens of the world and how this organization's policies are going to proliferate across an organization. That's enterprise governance example. And then the one that we probably don't all think about, and I know some of the executives do, is external governance, the fourth Mm. layer. 
External governance is the part on the outside, which is how we need to behave in terms of legal regulations and requirements um, in banking and financial services. It's very heavily governed by organisations like our tax office and regulatory authorities. And I'm sure in all of the other countries, they've got their versions sure. of external governance. So right. we need to think about the oversight and the relevance and the interdependencies between that. Because if you're in a project, you may still be impacted by enterprise governance, but that's a fact, and external governance, depending on what you're deploying. So I think there's layers and we need to be aware of those layers. Oh, that's so good. I love all your frameworks and like your <laughs> multiple states really helps break it down for people. That's great. That's a great way to think about it. So there's three main pillars of governance, which we've covered the structure, the people and the information, which is great. And then I love these layers and that you start with self-governance, because I think that's one that a lot of people miss is yeah. that they don't think about what's my own. And that's a way to drive responsibility and accountability, right? What is my own, my self-governance? How am I governing the work, the way I'm working, the way I'm interacting with others, et cetera. So I love those four layers that you have there as well. So good, so good. Okay, so thank you for that. And I have to, Fatima, bear with me, but I have to go back to something about Agile because this is something that just really bothers me when people talk about agile and the way they're implementing agile. And I think that we're kind of missing the point when people are like, well, there's one way to do it, right? Yeah. Like a cookie cutter approach to agile delivery. And mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about for our folks here that are kind of wondering how all this stuff fits together. It does in that I believe Agile is in everything that we need to be doing, right? Mm -hmm. uh, my, mm -hmm. Like we were talking about before we started recording, my whole implementation approach to a PMO is an agile approach to PMO delivery because we need a continual value delivery model when it comes to the PMO. We don't have time for a waterfall approach for pretty much any change. And the PMO is a part of that as well. People want to see real change quickly. And there's so many benefits to both an agile mindset and an agile implementation approach when it comes to it. But there are going to be those naysayers that say, yeah, but there's just like, it's my way or the highway, one way to do agile. And it's kind of, it, what's ironic is it's mm -hmm. kind of like the agile people making fun of the waterfall people for their rigid structure. And then they're saying, but it's got to be this one cookie cutter approach, right? So how do we move people away from that? Since you're one of my agile experts, I lean on for this. Talk to me about what we can do differently there. So first things first, I take people back to the concept pre-agile. Like agile has been around for over 25 years, but it's really grown in popularity in the last sort of maybe six or seven years. Mm -hmm. So if we just think back six or seven years, when we were doing delivery, we didn't say, oh, we're doing with a waterfall project management office, we're doing waterfall or we didn't even talk about waterfall. We just knew that most delivery frameworks were sort of leveraged around sort of that waterfall approach. So right. I don't get why now everyone's fixated on saying, oh, we, we're not waterfall, we're agile. The two get can get along. I've not seen one organization not one and we've worked with over 25 that is applying just agile in its truest purest form be it scrum or, or right. a kanban approach etc so right. let's get that sort of out of the way then when we think about agile in terms of big a which i refer to as the sort of the methods and frameworks that underpin agile concepts this is around iterative approach to project management, obviously started in software development. It's delivering value to customers faster, less headaches. And it's an improvement on a big bang launch where you don't know what you're going to get and you hope that, that what you're going to get in two years or three years is correct. Right. That's the big eight 
agile. When we right. think about small way agile, which is A for agility in my mind, which is what agile in agile management office is about. It's right. about promoting a mindset of values adaptability, which you mentioned before. It's about quick decision making. It's about being able to accept that not everything that you're going to do today or tomorrow is perfect, but we want to know that we're getting feedback, not just from ourselves, because PMO managers can be notoriously selfish. We want to be about the customer our the customers service, are delivery yeah. and exactly the service to stakeholder. why should an organization deliver in an agile way for their, their customers out on the front line or in the branches or wherever it might be and we don't even do that internally so it is an uphill battle but i think that if we can start adopting some of those small a mindset the efficiency growth the do what works mindset around flexibility and learning and proactivity that I think will start to shift the dial. And then we can fixate on what delivery method, even though PMO shouldn't be thinking about that because they're agnostic of a delivery method. Amen, girl. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. And that's where kind of that self-governance and personal governance comes in and thinking about how might I need to be adaptive and nimble yeah. and flexible. And it's so timely. I was just in one of my Impact Engine PMO coaching group sessions right before this. And one of the things, one of our students was, finding herself stuck in like, so it's, it's interesting because, and one of the other students said, Hey, you know what? I think we're kind of getting stuck in a waterfall mindset when we need to have an agile mindset here about this program, right? Yep. Don't get stuck on. It has to be, my assessment stage has to be perfect before I can move forward and start talking about the services and capabilities I'm going to deliver before I can start putting my roadmap together. And yep. one of the other students said, Oh girl, just do it. Just go like, get it, get it close enough. And so I was introducing the concept of an MVP, right? Mm -hmm. What's your minimum viable product that you can put out there and then iterate, iterate on that because mm -hmm. that feedback cycle is where you're going to do most of your learning and mm -hmm. where you're going to figure out what's next. And you want them begging for more. And so mm -hmm. as PMO leaders, we need to be positioned where we're getting something in front of them. And they're like, oh, that's great. You give them a taste and they want a little more and they want a little more. That's the agile mindset, the kind of agile mindset that you're talking about here and that you believe so strongly in as well. Yeah, and I think the the challenge that these PMO leaders are going to have is notoriously we don't get we don't have as much support. I mean, it's getting better, but generally we don't have a seat at the table. We don't have the sponsor support. We don't have even get money for training, right? right? Even though project managers do and whatnot. Now, the challenge is I think there's two parts, and I know I'm one of these people earlier on in my career that. I do have sort of sometimes a nature around me that I want everything to be perfect because I'm afraid that I'm going to get judged. If I put something out there, that people are going to judge me on it. So there is that sort of letting go part. Oh, yeah. And the second part of that is those that are responsible for these teams, the, the executives, the heads of, the managers in the departments, they need to give you permission to fail. If they do not give you permission to make mistakes along the way, and as long as it doesn't cost the business, we should be allowed to do that. But unfortunately, I'm still seeing as early as last week, managers that are insisting on a specific font and a specific size of a field in a report that really nobody cares about. And right. so we need to give people permission to fail and then they need to be okay with making mistakes as long as it doesn't cost the business. Oh, I love it. And you know what? There's something really important, like all of that was wonderful. Something really important I just want to reiterate for folks, which is you're talking about they're worried about how they're going to be perceived if they roll something out that isn't perfect. But I can tell you what, 
they're going to be judged even more harshly for rolling out nothing because they spent way too much time analyzing, perfecting, and not delivering results. You've got to always remember how you're answering the question, what have you done for me lately? And if there is no lately and there is no done, then you're losing credibility by the second. Yeah, hundred percent. As a lot of organizations, as like Kodak as being one of them that they missed the boat. They took too long for, you know, trying to reinvent themselves and they ended up basically dying. And that's the same with a lot of other companies like Blockbuster being another really famous example. They didn't want to get on the bus with change and be adaptable. And so they've been overshadowed by Netflix, who at one point was being offered to be bought by Blockbuster, who said no. So there's right. a lot of that fixed mindset in some of these organizations and executives that want to proliferate agile and do it well need to lead by example. And unfortunately, not in every instance they are. So that's a big challenge that we need to do, which is why change management, which is where PMOs can help be that glue and that driver will yeah. really help. Oh, this is so good. Oh my gosh. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Fatima, for being here and talking us through this whole concept of agile and governance and how, and culture and how all of these pieces fit together in order to be able to drive real sustainable business value for an organization. So I know all of our impact drivers learned so much today. I learned some great things as well. I'm just so happy to be able to share you on this podcast. So thank you so much for being here. Amazing. Happy to be here. I think it's been good. We've been long overdue. We've been speaking for a little while. So I'm loving all the things that you're doing. Looking forward to the summit activities as well. But yeah, I think it's been good to finally get a chance to talk about it and share more because it is a bit confusing. And I'm trying to hopefully demyth some of the things that people are making assumptions about when it comes to agile and governance, which isn't true when you look at what's happening in practice. Oh, so good. Well, thank you so much, Fatima, for being here today. All of you impact drivers, before you go, don't forget this episode is sponsored by the Impact Engine PMO program. This is an all-in-one step-by-step training and implementation program designed to help you build, up-level, or even rescue a PMO, no matter if this is your first time or your fifth time building a PMO. You will be amazed at the things you hadn't considered that are the shortcuts to high impact PMO success. So don't waste any more time trying to Google your way to a PMO. Join us in the Impact Engine PMO program today and just watch how your world changes almost overnight. And you don't need to take my word for it. You can hear success story after success story right on our Impact Engine PMO program page and hear how others that are just like you are getting such big results following our step-by-step program. I can't wait to see you there. Just go to iepmo.com and reach out if you've got any questions. I got you every step of the way. Okay, well, now you have the tools you need to put governance in place, right-sized governance, use it to elevate your culture and impact in the organization and do so with both an agile mindset and an agile way of working. So thank you all for being here today. Don't forget to hit subscribe and let us know what you think about this episode and all the ways we're helping you make an impact in your organization. Bye-bye for now. 